everybody, and welcome back to Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. It's Friday. Hmm. And that means it's Godzilla. <laughs> My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic for the rap. I write for Slash Film. Everybody calls me Bibs. Yeah, it's TGIF, so it's time for really weak alcoholic drinks. <laughs> And chicken wings. And possibly some sort of bloomin' onion. Oh my god. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. I think uh, quite lowly of TGIF, the restaurant mm. franchise. Uh, actually, it's been quite a while since I've been. I, so. I don't think I've... I think I've been in one once, and I think mm. I might have confused the bloomin' onion for something. And... I think that was Outback Steakhouse. No. The bloomin' onion. I think they had something similar, but yeah. I feel like... I think it was Caro's. I think I'm thinking of Caro's. One of those it, restaurants. If you're franchises. not from... If you're not from the U.S., and I know we have international listeners, we have mm. a whole slew of generic chain restaurants. <laughs> really shitty family-style restaurants. Yeah, you can get uh, booze, but you can also hang out with your kids. Mm. It's just... Fine. There's a there's like diners mm-hmm. and greasy spoons, like local restaurants, and those tend to be pretty good. You find some yeah. good sort of like oh yeah, lo- like local low rent, places, lo- low like rent local places, pe- places uh, that were made by people who wanted to own a restaurant, like people yeah, like, who wanted to really put their like stamp you, on things and make yeah, like food you, to nourish people. You go into Callahan's and you meet Callahan, like he's still yeah. there. Um, it was Callahan. Callahan did this to me. <laughs> <laughs> he he gave me this really nice matzo ball soup. Uh, for the first time recently, I went to Applebee's. You've never been to Applebee's I, before? I, I had eaten at Applebee's many years ago, okay. around like 2001 or 2002. I went to New York uh, in 2001. Mm. And, uh, and you waited at Applebee's. Uh, well, it was one of those things where you we uh, I traveled with my mom and we got off the plane at like in the middle of the night. Like our, our flight landed at 1130 mm-hmm. at night. And by the time we got into Midtown Manhattan... Everything was closed. We thought, this is the city that never sleeps. We'll have have no trouble finding, like, an all-night diner. Uh We had trouble finding an all-night diner. Okay, fair enough. Applebee's was open. We tried Applebee's. Yeah. It it was unremarkable. You you might ask yourself, why why are you talking about this? In this podcast about Godzilla movies, and it's actually kind of fitting, because the movie that we're going to talk about in this week's episode of Thank Godzilla, It's Friday, is a movie... That's even more than it is about Godzilla. It's it's about how Americans can make everything about them and kind of just shed, yeah, to, um, just scrape the edges the, off um, of it and make it kind of a generic mishmash. So an American producer got the distribution rights to Gojira, the original 1954 Japanese film directed yeah. by Ishiro Honda, and his excuse was at the time there wasn't sort of a broad market for non-English language movies. Which, to uh, be fair, was, was I mean, I, I mm. think there were probably bigger market people were willing to give it credit for, but there had so, been a lot yeah. of gigantic hits from overseas. Yeah, there, there yeah. weren't a lot of crossover hits yet. Mm. Uh, in fact, Godzilla was one of the first ones, mm. one of the first big sort of international hits in the United States. Um, between this and Rashomon, Japanese cinema was starting to very slowly kind of uh, leak into the American mainstream. Uh, so uh, rather than just sort of release the film as it is, uh, subtitled or even just dubbed into English, mm-hmm. uh, there's also plenty of racism going on. And uh, another one of the excuses was, oh, American audiences won't want to see a mostly Japanese cast. Yeah, you have, even to, throw in in a, English. You have to throw in a white guy. Yeah. And so, the white guy uh, that they chose was Raymond Burr. Who, uh, I love Raymond Burr, by He's the way. actually a really good actor. I think he's an excellent actor. I think he's an that, excellent actor. And, he doesn't, and he, he doesn't really even phone this one in. You can tell he's really trying to give it some oh, gravitas. He, he's there. He's trying yeah. to, you know, he, yeah. there's some conflicting reports as to how long it took 
to make this American version. Yeah, uh, there's there's a story that has been passed around that it basically they took the footage from the original Gojira, mm. they took out a lot of it, and they added some new footage of this new character played by Raymond Burr. What, uh, what's the character's name? I, I'm going to get to that. All I want right. to get to that in my own way. Give me a minute <laughs> okay. here. Uh, but they basically were just going to... And, and he, what I actually like about this movie, this version of the movie at least, uh-huh. is that nothing really in this movie contradicts the original. This is basically what we might call today... less of it. That's what we all. might call today a sidequel or an interquel where it's a new film, it's a follow-up film, but... It's kind of what's happening off to the side while we weren't we weren't seeing while we were watching the original movie. Um, so basically, while all of that stuff was going around in Ishiro Hondo's original Gojira, there was also one white guy in Japan who saw a lot of it. Who who is a, a friend of the the Japanese character? Yeah, yeah. I'm here to see Takashi Shimura. Doctor Sarazawa is the character's yeah. name. I'm yeah. here to see them. I and, was, uh, and, I was and, by sheer coincidence, I got here the day Godzilla attacked. And, Whoops! And the, he was on his way somewhere else. He was he, going. He was going to like. I think he was going to Europe or the Middle East or something like that. He's going he's somewhere, but he's he's he was, a reporter and he, and he stops over. In he Japan. had he had a layover in Japan and he was uh, going to go visit a friend. Um, so they took out a lot of the sort of interpersonal Japanese uh, characters when they had subplots. Mm. And they basically just trimmed it down to the stuff this guy would have seen. Mm. They also changed the opening, and I will say this. I personally believe that Gojira is the infinitely superior film. Oh, for sure. However, this is there's a reason why this movie was successful, and it's because it doesn't ruin Godzilla. It doesn't wreck the premise. It doesn't treat the premise... At least of Godzilla himself, disrespectfully. It treats the premise of international cinema disrespectfully. <laughs> um, and even though they cut out a lot of the very specific dialogue that says Godzilla is the result of atomic weapons testing. Yes. Uh, which would have pointed the fingers directly at America. And as you can imagine, mm. I bet American producers thought, well, Americans might not like that very much. <laughs> so they cut that out. However, they also added a whole opening monologue well, that, that it frames starts, it very clearly. It, yeah, it, it starts in Medias Res, which yeah. is not something the original did. So no, we, we open we, on the, the, destru- devastation. the devastation and there's uh, we see uh, somebody buried under rubble and that's yeah. Smoking, carnage. Yeah. And then we hear... Raymond Burr's character doing a a voiceover, Mm. contextualizing what we are seeing. Yeah. But he doesn't specifically mention a giant monster, and the actual dialogue he has is very clearly intended to be taken another way. And I'm going to read for you the first few sentences of Raymond Burr's monologue. It's the opening of the movie. And I'm going to let you sort of appreciate, okay, even though they took out a lot of the dialogue about the plot, this is clearly being framed as a metaphor for the dropping of atomic bombs on on, on Japan. Mm. And you can also hear exactly the point where, through really no fault of the movie's own, a lot of people today are going to giggle. So here we go. This is Tokyo. Once a city of six million people. What happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, 
was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown, an unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. There were once many people here who could have told of what they saw. Now there are only a few. My name is Steve Martin. <laughs> they, they had no way of knowing there would one day be a famous comedian named Steve Martin. Steve Martin. Yeah. But you, you, just any name. Well, like, like, my uh, name is Polly Shore. Like, it could have any name. Yeah, it could have like ended a, up being funny. When you watch um, Day of the Locust, mm -hmm. uh, you're going to be a little taken aback because Donald Sutherland plays a character named Homer Simpson. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, so Homer Simpson showed up. You watched that, the was, that a, was that an explicit reference in The Simpsons, do you think? Or is that just a coincidence? No, it's just a coincidence because mm. uh, Matt Groening named The Simpsons after his own family and his father was named Homer. Yeah, but you didn't have the name Simpson. I suppose not, but uh, I don't know. Weird. I think Simpson because, you know, like simpering simp. You Simpleton. Know, they, well, yeah, they, they, yeah, yeah. They, he wanted to evoke that. kind of that, a funny yeah. name, maybe. Uh, it's also a generic name. Right. So, yeah, Homer Simpson, complete coincidence. Same with uh, if you watch the uh, 1986 version of Troll. Mm. Oh, there's, yeah, There's yeah, a yeah. young boy wizard in, the, in that movie who wears glasses, by the way, who's uh -huh. named Harry Potter. And they tried to sue, actually, and that, uh, one's, that one's a coincidence, but still. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we've got this opening, and... It's, it's actually interesting to me how you take this really kind of A-level Japanese production, but because of the way uh, American production companies decided to reshoot and reframe it, mm -hmm. it ends up coming across like a B-picture. If you've ever seen the movie Ed mm -hmm. Wood, there's a great bit at the beginning mm -hmm. where Ed Wood is he's just doing a whole bunch of stuff around a movie set. He's kind of I think he's delivering like a potted plant from one place to another. Yeah, and he runs into an editing bay where some guy is just going through stock footage. Mm -hmm. and, and, stock and he knows Ed is interested interested yeah. in that sort of thing, so he yeah. says, calls if, him into watch. If you don't know what stock footage is, stock footage is footage that filmmakers and studios get of sort of generic things that they can use. Whenever they need it. So, for example, well, uh, footage of planes taking off mm -hmm. or buffalo, you know, roaming on the countryside or the clouds across the sky or exterior shots of a building, that kind of thing. Um, it stock footage is actually uh, usually leftover B-roll from other uh, Often productions. Often Sometimes the they'll shoot movies, they'll shoot documentaries, and they'll cut some footage mm -hmm. or they'll just reuse footage from other productions. And... Mm -hmm. uh, it's really handy if you need, yeah, like a shot of a plane taking off. Yeah. Uh, and Ed Wood in that movie says, oh, you can make an entire movie just out of this B-roll. And he starts like narrating like, ah, something's happening in the sky and it's scaring all the buffalo. <laughs> that kind of B-movie filmmaking where we're going to take stock footage of things we could never have the budget to actually film and we're going to add dialogue over it, that was not uncommon. Mm-hmm. And here we're taking the A roll, not the stock footage, like this really big stuff. But just by having Raymond Burr just basically just say, and here's why this is significant. It gives it this B movie quality 
that yeah, well, it never had before. Well, we... It's kind of ironic. We tend to think of certain kinds of genre films, and we're thinking of stuff like Tarantula or mm. uh, the, the, uh, the Deadly Mantis, yeah. uh, the beginning of the end, a lot of these monster movies. Some of them were really uh, high-end productions. That Beast of 20,000 uh, Fathoms yeah, we already talked like about. Like some really, yeah. really nice them special was effects. Them on the was, cusp, yeah. Uh, them, uh, which takes place in Frogtown, California, ah. uh, which is pretty close to here. It's right off the L.A. River. It was cool. where the, the Three Stooges uh, grew up. Yeah. Oh. Um, but, uh, Did they live with their aunt? Wouldn't that have been something? <laughs> Them is about giant ants. Yes. <laughs> in case you're wondering. But uh, this wasn't necessarily like a cheapy knockoff B picture. No, this, they, it's they were a really, big deal. This is a big deal. They're really trying to sell this. But and they're kind of treating in, it in America like it is, which is yeah, weird. Now, in, in Japan, the original Gojira was a mid-budget film. It wasn't mm. sort of like an A production. This wasn't yeah. a prestige picture. Uh, but it wasn't a cheapy either. No, no, no. Mid-budget. Yeah. And I think that's how they're trying to sell it. To try to think of even the Raymond Burr version of Godzilla as a mid-budget monster movie. Mm -hmm. Something that uh, actually has modest but palpable ambitions. Yeah. This is not... Uh, village of the giants where we're clearly like trying to get a drive-in crowd no and i'll, and I'll give him credit the opening lines as i just mm. you know i gave my yeah, mediocre raymond burr performance <laughs> uh he sells it better than i do but those are some heavy that's a heavy way to open a movie yeah. And yeah, and you open with the devastation. This is something that happens uh, a lot he, he in genre filming. That man was a feeling creature. <laughs> right. He tampered in God's domain. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Like uh, uh, it's not uncommon for uh, a genre picture to start kind of at like a really exciting point and then circle back around and tell you how we got here. Mm. Uh, because you want the audience to be like grabs, like oh, here's all the stuff I was promised on the poster. Yeah. Or in the trailer. Uh, and then you realize that there's actually going to be a really long build-up to get to all of that. Uh, a lot of uh, screenwriters might think that's a very clever trick. Uh, what it actually means is you need to rewrite your first act. Uh, <laughs> it means your first act might be a little slow. I, I actually think the first act of, God, of Go- Gojira is great. But it is it is not showing the devastation. It's not getting to the clear, you know, sort of spectacle yeah. Element until later. And indeed, if you remember when we reviewed the original Gojira two episodes ago, um, they don't show the monster for a long time. They show you it piece by piece. See its head poking out of the water after a while. Mm. It's a long time before we get like a real money shot of Godzilla. Uh, in this movie, they jump to that a lot faster. Yeah. Um... They, they cut to that as quick as they can. And they even shot mm. a few new shots of Godzilla. That looks like to me, where he has like these weird kind of button eyes. I think those were in the original. Were those in the original? Yeah, Am I yeah. remembering it wrong? Yeah, the, the, Go- the monster, Gogeta, mm-hmm. lo- looks a lot different in the first movie than he would end up. Yeah, looking, but he looks, where he, like, but he looks different in some bigger, shots than other cartoony eyes in later movies. Yeah, no, but he he has definitely has different eyes in some shots in this movie than he does in others. And I could have huh. sworn. You know, I'm going to see if I can look that up. I don't think there's any, of... any new footage of Gogeta. Um, okay. It's mostly Raymond Burr. Raymond Burr has said in, in some interviews that he shot it in a day. Mm. That he just had like one 24-hour day and he shot all the footage. Uh, some other reports have said, no, it was actually a four-day shoot. Some have said it was a six-day shoot. Regardless, it wasn't a lot of time. Yeah. And uh, a lot of body doubles were hired to emulate sort of the backs of Japanese actors' heads from the original. And they actually hired a lot of uh, local Japanese actors as well. 
to appear in shots with Raymond Burr. There's a shot yeah. of him like standing amongst a bunch of other reporters. Uh, there's there's about a million shots of Raymond Burr standing. No, yeah, that's, but, that, that's most of most of what he did. Ba- for this basically, movie. we see Raymond Burr. Uh, we cut to after the opening. We cut to Raymond Burr on an airplane. Back when you could smoke on airplanes. There was a smoking what? section. Ha <laughs> ha! That'll that'll show them. Smoke will only stay in this part of the tube. It wasn't so long ago. I think it, really it wasn't, wasn't until like the early nineties. I was on a plane when people. Yeah, with, I was on a plane when they still had like ashtrays and things, and mm-hmm. I was like, "What is this?" Oh, if, if you've ever been to a yeah, some if you've ever been to a restaurant, first of all, if you're in a place where smoking just doesn't happen in public anymore, which is most places now, it's 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 uh, getting phased out real hard. You're gonna go to a restaurant and there's gonna be like a couple tables like behind a glass partition, mm-hmm. like doors on. Other side that used to be the smoking section that's where the, yeah. the people who smoke cigarettes would go yeah they, they would have to cordon off the smokers yeah 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 I, I i saw somebody smoking on the street a couple months like i guess it was about a year ago at this point but still kind of recently it, it was kind of surprising and yeah it's like oh, I, are we still doing that? i don't see that anymore people just lighting uh, up in public. outside of bars at night yeah. that's when you're going to see people smoking on the street like a lot but mm-hmm. generally speaking it's less common and good it's really bad for you we shouldn't be doing that but it's um, so cool. <laughs> in any case, he lands in Japan, uh, and it turns out that his flight flew over the first Godzilla attack on the fishing boat. Yes. And then they're like, okay, well, we have to interview everyone on the plane in case they saw something thousands of miles in the sky. Kind of a stretch, but okay, it gets Raymond Burr into the action. They explain what happened to Raymond Burr, and Raymond Burr is like, oh, okay, well, that's, that's, that is of interest. I guess I'd better investigate since I am a reporter, man. Uh, and then uh, basically we see a whole bunch of footage from the original Gojira of people trying to figure out this whole Gojira thing. And anytime there was a crowded room mm-hmm. and people would speculate, oh, we think it's a dinosaur, we think this, they'll just cut to a scene of new footage of just in the back corner couple of Japanese people in the foreground Raymond Burr in the back going huh? Yeah. Like that's a lot of his footage in this movie. It's just uh, while everything else was going on Raymond Burr was in the background you kind of forced Gump him into the movie if you wanted to get ambitious just going Huh? Sadly, they didn't have like the the wherewithal to like insert them into existing footage. They, it's all yeah. new footage. That would be a fun. I, I wouldn't. I'll say this: they, they matched yeah. it pretty well. It's, it's not too uh, distracting. There's yeah, there, yeah. There's like it's he's clearly inserted, but yeah. they were able to like layer the sound correctly. They took mm-hmm. the Japanese dialogue uh, and like played it over Raymond Burt, so they actually mm. made it look like he was in the room. Yeah, uh, it's a little awkward because he's never in the same shot as. Like actors delivering dialogue. There, there's a few but, bits where there's an actor in the foreground talking to him, and it's supposed to be a character that. Well, and, that's, and that's a body double. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a bit in the beginning where um, uh, it's it's in that opening prologue where it's at it's at the devastation. Raymond Burr is all like bloodied, and uh, one of the main characters, uh, Emiko. Mm. She's like tending to his wounds, but we only see her from behind. And he, he says it's Emiko, so we know it's the same main character from the original movie. And she says something to the effect of, uh, um, Oh, Steve, what brought this upon us? And I'm like, at this point, you actually know. And you know better than Steve. So this is a very <laughs> no, much... That's, that's trying an, ex- to, trying it's to, an existential question. It's an like, existential what, question, but why are what, you asking it of Steve could a, Martin? could a man commit in a single right. lifetime? But it's weird to ask it of this guy you barely know. Yeah. As, it, as if Steve gets it. And I'll well, get, Steve, you know. Steve is... No, Steve is Dr. Sarazawa's friend. Yeah. 
and she was engaged to Doctor Sarazawa, uh, and okay. then and then she broke up with him to be with the other guy. But it's still like she barely knows him, and he's only kind of visiting here. And here's the deal: the justification for why there is a Raymond Burr character, this is a major world event. Mm-hmm. There might be an American reporter there. Yeah, that's not yeah. that's not it's, the worst idea I've ever heard. And in it's fact, just unnecessary. Think think of this. Uh, how would this look if it were just a 100% American production? Mm. We want to make a monster picture set in Japan. Mm. It would probably look something like this, right? You where... probably incorporate the actor more into the think... story. And that's the thing. Because he's, he's, here's the deal. Mm. He has nothing to do. That's true. He's, he's just, just there an to observer. Yeah. They, they even mention a few times, like later on in the movie, uh, when we finally get back to the after the Godzilla devastation and it's Emiko is like, okay, well, Dr. Sarazawa has the oxygen destroyer. We need to get him to use the oxygen destroyer. And we, they say that in the foreground back mm-hmm. of the heads to the audience. And, and Steve Martin's like, I wish I wasn't so injured. I'd go do it. I guess you'll have to go Emiko. That's it. <laughs> he had one moment where it seemed like he might have done something. And then he just, Oh, it's a good thing Steve Martin passed that torch so Emiko had something to do. And it's it's really forced. Yeah. They would have incorporated him, I think, a little bit more into the narrative, I'm sure. Uh, maybe would have made him one of the competing love interests or would have had him discover something about Godzilla himself to contribute to the effort so that he didn't feel completely redundant. Uh, which he is. And yet it's 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 fine, I guess. There's the thing with this movie. This movie was the only way Americans could see the original Godzilla for a really long time. Uh, the original Gojira didn't get a theatrical re- release in the United States until 2004. Yeah. Uh, I think it was screened like once or twice like before this edited version came out mm-hmm. in 56. But yeah, after that, this is the only this version the only people one. Americans can see. Uh, and if it, this didn't work, we would probably wouldn't have gone out of our way to import the other movies. Yeah, well, especially... Gojira is, is important now. Yes. It's also a really downbeat movie. And yes. if that version had been distributed in the United States, uh, dubbed or s- subtitled... Might not have been a blockbuster. It wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't have been the hit it was. And I yeah. think... Uh, I, and you can chalk this up to racism. You can chalk this sure. up to uh, just a general uh, sense of xenophobia in the United States. You know, not wanting to see uh, movies in a language other than English. Uh but the producers did bring it here. Mm. They had to alter it, but the, this was kind of the way it was going to happen yeah. in in sort of the world that it came to. Yeah. Uh, I think in sort of staging it like a B-movie, mm. it changed the tone of Godzilla. Yeah, uh, Gojira was, we, we commented endlessly about what a sort of a somber, tragic movie it is about destruction as a negative thing. That's an element of Godzilla King of the Monsters but there's also a little bit more in sort of downplaying that and downplaying the tragedy of the Japanese characters and sort of seeing it from an outsider's perspective. Yes, it's other otherizing mm-hmm. the nation of Japan. Uh, but it also adds what you were talking about, that sort of B-movie thrill. Yeah. Uh, it adds, uh, it makes it more exciting to watch rather than just a bummer. Oh, that's At least that's and the I, theory. And yeah. I think that in so doing this alteration might have been rather, I have to kind of rather tragically acknowledge the thing that gave it legs and the Mm. thing that continued to keep Godzilla in the American consciousness. I'm always hesitant to give this kind of a thing too much credit for that because we'll Mm. never know. Will we? 
that we we can say like okay well this you know uh what's even a bolderized version yeah uh is the only way godzilla could have been initially introduced to america I'm not saying no, it's the only no, no, way, no, no, but I don't I'm think saying it's, the it's, way it was I, was I, effective. Agreed. I'm, I agreed it was effective. I just think it's a little it, it it's a little too tempting I think for some to, uh, sometimes to basically completely excuse that because we'll mm. never know if the original version of it had been mass released, maybe dubbed, that was no. very common. Uh if that would have been more successful or as successful or comparably successful. And we still would have had this giant influx of Godzilla movies yeah. uh, in this country. We'll never know. But we do know is that for better or worse, probably worse, this version did take off. And um, again, it's mostly the events of Gojira. Yeah. It's, there, again, we, there, we, there aren't too many fundamental changes in like the story. No, the story, again, Godzilla shows his face a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, they make a few kind of incidental changes, like um, the actual size of Godzilla is increased in the American translation. I yeah. believe they say he's 400 feet tall, which is a lot taller than he was in the original. Yeah. Apparently a big part of that was uh, in the movie, uh, Godzilla was like, you know, stomping on major cities and Americans were kind of used to seeing more skyscrapers in major cities. Okay. So calling him 400 feet tall kind of made it sense that like, okay, that's a major city. He's just that tall. That's the theory I've heard. Uh, who can say? They might have just thought it sounded more impressive. Yeah. You know, just to say, oh, no, he's really fucking tall, that Godzilla is. <laughs> My stars. Um, <laughs> yeah, so basically... <laughs> but you're, but That Godzilla is really fucking tall. But the thing is, though, is that, and again, they cut out some of the context, but... The, the story of Gojira, especially the original film, is so steeped in its era, and its era is so steeped in the conflict mm. of World War II and its aftermath. Godzilla is fundamentally something of a commentary. Mm-hmm. So incorporating an American actor into one of the major roles in the film, and then... And then not really dealing with that, not, not really not confronting it at all. In fact, uh, yeah, deliberately eschewing it. Indeed, he doesn't. Steve, he doesn't Steve have... Martin does make any commentary about how this was mm-hmm. a direct result of uh, what America did to the nation of he, Japan. He doesn't say like, "Oh, I was a soldier in World War II. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have strong opinions about nationalism or globalism or uh, what we did to Japan." Uh, or anything, really. He's Mm. a very neutral party. And on one hand, that's good, because he's not... He's not being racist to everybody, Mm. which would have been a temptation, I think, in a lot of crappier movies of the era to go to a locale that isn't this country and be a colonial asshole about it. Like I said, he, he others... Japan, uh-huh. uh, but yeah, he never falls into any stereotypes. He never says, yeah. "Oh, all the Japanese people are yeah." Insert stereotype. There, there's no here. jokes yeah. about mm. Japanese culture specifically. He's never he's actually. Like, he, he's friends with Doctor Sarazar. Yeah. He's very comfortable there. He's an international yeah. traveler. Yeah. So, so even though the fundamental premise here is othering by the fact that Raymond Burr is there, they mm. could have done a lot worse, actually. And again, I don't want to give him too much credit, but. More credit than a lot of other movies would have done at the time. So, you know, there's that. There there was a... 
we can easily imagine how this could have gone so much worse. Oh god, you, we've yeah. all seen racist older movies, like overtly racist older movies. Mm-hmm. So having this one that's kind of got racism in its constructs, but seriously could have been a lot worse is mm-hmm. kind of a relief because I've yeah, actually never like, seen this version I, before. That, that, that it only went as so far as othering is like yeah. almost a relief. And that's <laughs> like, sad. That's, that's, so sad. That's, a, that's the bar? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a, low a the terrible bar. bar. In the, in the mid-1950s, that's Jesus where the bar Christ. was. Yeah. But, uh, with with mainstream cinema. Yeah. I, I liked... I don't know the broad sense of where movie theaters were in America yeah. in the 1950s. I know that the Paramount decrees yeah. had come down, which changed a lot of the movie theater landscape. And we should probably uh, explain what that is. Uh, it, in through Up through uh, the late 1940s, uh, studios were allowed to own their own movie theaters. Mm-hmm. They could uh, contract actors, mm-hmm. they could make their own films, and they could then distribute they could, their own films. They could distribute their own films, and they could distribute their... F- their own films to their own theaters. They controlled every single aspect of production and they got yeah. profit from every step of the way. So if a theater and, wanted to show like mm-hmm. the big hit movie from a studio, the studio could say, okay, but you also got to show all of our crap. Yeah. Like and the so, studio called all the shots. Yeah. If, uh, if an independent, uh, filmmaker said, Hey, I got this movie. Can you show it? They would say, no, we can't. We're under contract from Paramount or whatever. We have to w- only show Paramount movies. Yeah. We have to show this many movies and yeah, we don't have a lot of say in it. And, mm-hmm. In the late 1940s, that went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said that is a monopolistic practice. Yeah, so uh, that is not allowed anymore. So, you can uh, no longer be vertically integrated; own the mm-hmm. entire system from the top now, to the bottom. In in recent decades, of course, uh, studios were kind of creeping back in and trying to control the. Uh, the, the details of how their films were going to be distributed. Like uh, Disney would send a lot of their movies to AMC theaters mm-hmm. and you couldn't use passes, AMC passes mm-hmm. on Disney movies, that kind of stuff. Yeah. They required bigger cuts of ticket sales uh, in exchange for having these bigger blockbusters that they control. If you want to show our big Disney movie, it has to be in the uh, the biggest theater for this many yeah, weeks, exactly. For so a lot of those yeah. rules were already breaking down and wouldn't you know it in the streaming era, mm-hmm. all of the studios said, hey, well, our own streaming services, that's kind of the same thing. It is. Why don't you just get rid of those Paramount decrees from the 40s, and that way we can own everything again. And, and sure you know, enough, like, in the one, in the waning years of, uh, of the Trump dynasty, mm-hmm. uh, they decided, um, yeah, we're just, we're, we're not going to take that law off the books. We're just not going to enforce it anymore. Yeah. And so they sunsetted that, and that finally died out, and now we're starting to see studios having a lot more control well, uh, over uh, what they because they don't they no longer have to do anything else with their material and that's why hbo is allowed to do a lot of the bullshit mm-hmm. they've been doing lately uh and uh, and it's also well as we record this we're in, embroiled in the middle of a rather vicious writer's strike mm-hmm. uh, because and they're talking about an actor's strike an and a director's actor, strike yes, too sag aftra and and uh, yeah the dga might also go on strike because Streaming services have adopted the practice of not releasing their numbers. They don't have to reveal who's mm-hmm. been watching what. So they how can, can you how can with, you dis- withhold as much royalties yeah. as they want? How can you dispute a contract if you don't even know the, what what you've got? What the information? Yeah, is, what yeah. what your show is actually doing numbers wise, yeah. and uh, do you have any control over things that? Oh yeah, we're just mm-hmm. never going to show that ever again. Therefore, but, uh, you don't get any royalties anyway. We can do that now because mm-hmm. we're vertically integrated and we control every level of distribution. 
Uh, point being, back yeah. to the 1950s. Yeah, so things um, had changed dramatically. Things had changed dramatically, and a lot of local theaters started opening up, and they could show whatever the heck they wanted. They and could in show fact, independent little, movies, they international, international movies. movies. I don't know what the market was like for international cinema in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. If there were a lot of art houses throughout uh, the United States, or if it was just like in big cities. Mm-hmm. Um, point being, uh, something like Godzilla, King of the Monsters which was not put out by a major studio. Mm-hmm. I think it was put out by AIP. Was it? Uh, Amer- no, no, I don't know. It wasn't. It, wasn't, it wasn't American International. That was Corman's company. But um, uh, something with a similar name. It was like Trans-America Trans-World. or something. Trans-World. Um, I think it was Trans-World. That, this was a studio that could go to local theaters and just say, hey, we have this monster movie. Let's just mm-hmm. distribute it. And uh, Yeah, it was Trans-World releasing. Corp. Trans-World releasing. Uh, they're not owned by Paramount or you know Warner Brothers or any of the big ones. Uh, this was a time when a lot of independent movie movie makers could just sort of shoot a movie in Topanga Canyon, mm-hmm. have something on reels, just carry it into a theater, mm-hmm. just say, "Hey, you want to show this?" and they'd show it for weeks. Yeah. And these like Z-grade schlockmeisters could become millionaires, and all of these this sort of underground started up. Yeah. A lot when of, you when you remove a monopolistic lot more, yeah. practices, all of a sudden, a lot guess more what? Ish- There's more competition. People can actually work their way up from the bottom. You yeah. know, like how it's supposed to work. And yeah, it's with the, better uh, I, I unfortunately didn't see the movie and i really want to but uh just recently there was a movie in theaters called terrifier 2 oh, uh, yeah. which is just a horror movie about a killer clown that ripped people to shreds and it's unbelievably gory uh and that kind of made a little bit of money it made, like, that it made a lot of money relative to its budget it did really yeah, well it, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was made for like 100 grand like almost no money at all and uh yeah and it made a decent handful of money and people were talking about it that's where we used to be where something yeah. like Terrifier 2 could get a little bit of attention. Yeah. I feel like... It's pretty uncommon now. E- even though, like, those Paramount decrees are kind of over, the dominance of, like, a certain kind of blockbuster is, is over now. Uh, yeah. If if we can get really excited about a film like Skinamarink, uh, yeah. which was made for, what, like $11,000 Canadian? Like very, very cheap. It, yeah, yeah, really cheap But, movie. like, that was more talked about than... I mean, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy, Super Mario mm-hmm. Brothers, sure, but, you know, it was as talked about as any of the other, like, bigger movies. Yeah, yeah. It dominated conversation. People were intrigued. So, uh, I feel like yeah. Godzilla came along at, at a, a good time in, in movie theater history in the United States. Yeah. Uh, it entered into a marketplace where it could thrive yeah uh can you imagine if something like gojira tried to get major distribution in 1948 Mm -hmm. like less than a decade before probably would have had a hard time getting into any theaters yeah Yeah. it it, it wouldn't have been in any theaters and it's worth noting no no major studio would bother to shoot footage of raymond burr cut Mm -hmm. it into gojira and distributed themselves and the thing is is that we're still running into that issue here though where americans are a little hesitant to like leap into international cinema. There are movies that are released overseas that make over a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. That don't they're, make it to the United treated, States. Well, if they do, they're treated as like small art house releases. And I'm like, yeah. that was a sci-fi epic that made a billion dollars overseas. And to us, it's like a little obscure little blip because it wasn't made by American studios. In fact, I'm going to look up, um, I forgot the name of it, but one of the most, uh, like, mm. top-grossing movies of 2022, of last year, mm. was, um... Was it, it Wandering it, Earth? 
Well, one, Wandering one, Earth was not. That was no. That was like twenty. It was a couple years ago, and there's already Wandering Earth two, and they were yeah. both. Uh, those those were huge Chinese science fiction movies where Earth is now a spacecraft. They have, yeah. they have constructed these gigantic engines to push the Earth out of orbit. Yeah. and take it to a new sun because our sun is going to explode, and that's yeah. going to take, of course, you know, hundreds of years to get there. So people are like living inside the Earth, and there's generations passing by. Fun yeah. premise. Yeah, not a great. I saw the first Wandering Earth. Not great, mm-hmm. but you know. You know, fine sci-fi entertainment. But there was, like, yeah, this um, Chinese, uh, like, comedic drama about a a, a woman's relationship with her mom. And and, uh, that one was a huge hit. And that that never made it to the United States. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm totally blanking on that. Hold on. Uh, But, yeah, if you could look it up, that that would be great because that's driving me nuts now. Um, I want to, while you're doing that, I want to give a shout-out to... Uh, obviously, Ishiro Honda directed the majority of Gojira and Godzilla: mm. King of the Monsters. However, the American footage was not directed by Ishiro Honda, and the person who directed it is actually of note. Mm. Uh, their name was Terry O. Morse. I, I, the film was called Another Me. That was that the was one I, I couldn't think Thank of. Thank you. Uh, but Terry O. Morse, uh, who had been working in the industry since the silent era, uh, and had been directing movies sporadically uh, throughout that time, uh, he edited some pretty prominent movies uh perhaps uh one a lot of people might have heard of would be robinson crusoe on mars oh uh which is a movie i'm very deeply fond of uh robinson crusoe on mars is uh, the story of robinson crusoe but this time he's on mars and at the time that this movie came out in 1964 it was marketed as the most scientifically accurate sci-fi movie ever made Every single thing, with the exception of like the aliens that attack towards the end, every single thing about this guy who gets marooned on Mars, not unlike the movie The Martian, uh, was based on what scientists allegedly, a lot of scientists anyway, actually believed might be the case on Mars. You know, like Mars only has like a little atmosphere so you could kind of breathe for a while. You know, it has like rivers, <laughs> you know, like, but at the time we, 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 we didn't know a lot, you know, yeah. like there was, there was a lot of speculation. And so at the time that was considered mm-hmm. pretty plausible. Uh, and it's a hoot. Like it's a really, really fun movie. Uh, and you should totally check it out if you mm-hmm. haven't already. The Criterion Collection has put that out. Um, um and it's great. The Battle at Lake Changjin, uh, excuse me, The Battle right. at Lake Changjin 2 yeah, yeah. Uh, was released in 2022, and that made more money than Puss in Boots. There you go. Did that make it to the United States? Nope. 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 Didn't it? it yeah. It was the ninth highest grossing film worldwide. Um, yeah. At, after Thor Love and Thunder. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, so, yeah, we're still, we're still doing that, is, yeah. the, is the problem here. There's still... I, I, uh, there's, which, still there's still an, a, a, a suggestion... Hmm. The implication and assumption, if you will, uh, that American audiences just don't care. And maybe we wouldn't flock the way that we well, would we, flock to like would. Top Gun Maverick, but maybe we, we wouldn't know that until we actually put it out. We, we would if an American distributor you know, marketed it the same way they would market an American film. Yeah. Uh, and you'll notice that uh, you, if you go into like Netflix or a streaming service, mm-hmm. there's probably going to be a lot of uh, anime yeah, a lot, a lot of, of anime. imported animation. Yeah, a lot There's of Bollywood. A lot of Bollywood films. Yeah. A lot of films from uh, yeah Asia and the Middle East. Uh, those things yeah. are they big do real business. big numbers on streamers. People yeah. want to see those movies. And the assumption, my point is this: the, the assumption, assumption is still that, like a niche audience. Yeah, and, and and even if you could argue that like okay, well maybe they won't all make a billion dollars over here, they'd still probably do well. Yeah, and when we see lately anime movies actually being released in sizable numbers of theaters in America. 
they do really well. Like the last Dragon Ball movie that came out, like mm-hmm. that did really well over here. Like that was like number one at the box office for a week or two. So we're, we don't really have a lot of excuses. <laughs> we should just commit to this. Yeah. Uh, but Godzilla King of the Monsters is part of this. I hesitate to call it a tradition because it's not a great tradition, but it's part of that. It's part of that. And, and it's, yeah. It, it's easy to be ambivalent about it because it did a lot of positive things. It did uh, o- open a lot of people's uh, eyes to uh, the notion that there even was Japanese cinema. Mm-hmm. And uh, but at the same time, not a very. It's not the same version as the Japanese no. version. But it, it, it's not again. It's not again. This a was a terrible. This was a couple of it. years it's still after. Mostly the same movie. This is a couple of years after Rashomon. Keep in yeah. mind, which was also something of a crossover hit. Uh, yeah. Maybe not a big hit like Godzilla, but you know it was yeah. notable. Uh, yeah. So, J- Japanese art was making its way over. Yes, uh, and this was a huge step forward. Yeah, like it's hard hard to stress, hard to overstress how important this movie was in bringing an international voice, however interpolated, yeah, to an, uh, an American audience. But anyway, outside of that macro view, just to finish up the conversation of the film proper, mm. uh, the rest of the movie of Gojira takes place pretty much the way it takes place. In the original movie, except there will occasionally be a shot of Raymond Burr smoking a pipe, uh, and then when Go- when Godzilla actually like attacks, and there's that so, one big major devastation sequence, uh, Raymond a lot Burr of cuts back to Raymond Burr watching it. Yeah, he's in a building. He's with a whole bunch of reporters, and he's watching the destruction. And it's like getting closer and closer to him. And there's like a, there's a parallel between some uh, Japanese reporters on like a. Um, uh, like an electrical tower okay. or something, and then Godzilla like attacks them, and that's in the original movie. And so, it, eventually, they'll also hit Raymond Burr. But at that that's the point where Raymond Burr is actually asked to do the most acting because he's basically like, uh, "Look off camera. Mm. You're seeing something of Lovecraftian nightmarishness. Describe it for us." Yeah, and Raymond Burr earns his paycheck that day. He actually does. Sell he, the gravitas. He's, he's a good he actor, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and apparently he had enough affection for this interesting footnote in his career that when the time came to reboot Godzilla in the 1980s, and they made mm. an American version of that too, Raymond Burr was like, "I got to come back." Uh, yeah, and eventually, yeah, they re- rebooted Godzilla. They started a new. Um, a new mythology where only the mm. first movie existed and all the other ones about with the aliens mm. and other wacky monsters yeah. were ignored. You didn't invent uh, that shit, Halloween. <laughs> Godzilla, nice try. Godzilla is the precedent for all of this. They, they did the all monsters in one movie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but uh, Abbott and Costello did that first. Abbott and Costello did it first. You're, yeah. you're right. Well, um, actually, but, House of Frankenstein did that first, but whatever. Uh, Point being, uh, yeah, they, they decided to reboot it. They called it uh, Return of Godzilla in Japan. Uh-huh. Uh, then they decided to do the same treatment. Rather than just release Return of Godzilla in the United States. They called it Godzilla 1985. Godzilla 1985. And uh, yeah, and they just did the same thing. They shot new footage with Raymond Burr. He's older now. He's got a gray beard, but yep. he's still doing it. Yep. And we'll get okay, to that. Yeah. I, I do love Raymond Burr. Uh, Ray, He's I, I was, Raymond I was Burr. a big, big fan of Perry Mason back in the day. Yeah. I watched it with my mom. If you haven't seen Perry Mason, it is one of the best law shows. Yeah. The is original it, version. Have you seen the new version that they've got? No, I heard it's quite the good. HBO one. Which, I, from what I understand, the new HBO version is a lot more accurate to the novels ah. that, that the, the original series was based on. 
uh, couldn't speak to it. I haven't read any of the novels, Nor but I. I do like that 1950s TV series, and it, and you can find it. It's online. It's on some of the streaming services. Yeah, and yeah, and he spent a huge part of his career playing Perry Mason. But um, well, because they they canceled the show, but then they kept on bringing it back. Like they would do in the eighties like and nineties. T- they did TV he, movies he, and stuff. The last let me say one two. Like, if you look at, like, the last, like, five years that he was, like, making movies, most of the stuff that mm. he was doing was Perry Mason TV movies. Yeah. yeah. He ma- There were, like, oh, Jesus, there was one, two, three, four. There were four Perry Mason TV movies in 1990 alone. They yeah. just kept churning them out. It was a huge cash cow. And good for him, I guess. Mm. Um, but um, you may also remember him from, again, Rear Window. Mm. Uh, where he played uh, the next door neighbor who James Stewart was convinced might have killed his wife. Uh, classic performance. Mm. Uh, very intimidating in that film. I love him in that film. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he he was also uh, kind of struggled a lot in Hollywood. Um, mm. He struggled because he struggled with his weight a lot. Yeah. And uh, Johnny, Carson, John Curry, Johnny Carson made fun of his weight a lot and he refused to go on. Because uh, Johnny Carson made fun of his body. And Good, he, and fuck him. want to do that. Uh, he was... It's a cheap joke. You're better than that, Johnny, or at least you should be. He was also closeted for much of his life. Mm. He married a woman, but he was a gay man. And um, he, he did have male lovers throughout mm. his, his career. And I think he ended up... Uh, I don't think he came out in his lifetime, but I think it was one of those things where everybody yeah. knew that he, Every, you know, he had If his, you knew him, boyfriends. you knew. Yeah. 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 Hello, Luca. You want to talk about Godzilla, buddy? Cat wants to talk about Godzilla. <laughs> you may also remember uh, uh, Raymond Burr. We have a podcast on our Patreon page uh, called Only the Best, where we review every single movie ever nominated for Best Picture. He played uh, a very good but small role in a classic film called A Place in the Sun, where he played a district attorney who was trying to convince uh, mm. convict Montgomery Clift of murder. Yeah. Uh, and he's great in that movie. It's a small role, but he he's great in every single scene he's got. Uh, so yeah, by all means, I think I look think, up Raymond Burr's career. He's really yeah, good actor. So, uh, may, and maybe we can, if if we're going to be generous, uh, pin the success of Godzilla King of the Monsters on Raymond Burr. No, uh, he's, he's he's got the he's got the gravity. I mean, he's good. Don't get me wrong. Like he he doesn't hurt, he, he doesn't hurt the film the way you might imagine. Mm. Merely inserting uh, an American character for the sake of American audiences might have. He's not just a distraction because he's. They they had the they had the good sense to keep him out of the way to not try to make him the star not like oh and then he's the guy who destroyed Godzilla they don't like insult the original like that and he gives that performance but I don't think I, I would be surprised if people ran to the theaters because Raymond Burr is in a movie and it's like oh what else is happening in it oh a giant monster hard pass no one's interested in that they went for the giant monster oh, yeah, <laughs> people like giant monsters. Yeah. Um, in any case, yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's Godzilla King of the Monsters. It's, uh, it's an interesting adjunct to the original film. If I were to say, oh, you only have time to watch one, watch the original. Watch the original. But it's, it's a better yeah. film. It is a more the, this, cogent film. It's a more potent film. The American version is a footnote. Yeah. It's, it's a, a, a side project. Um, if, yeah. Especially if you're doing the project we're doing and we're watching all the Godzilla movies. Yeah, it really does feel like... It, we, we almost didn't do a whole separate episode for it. Yeah, we were going to cover it with when we did yeah. Gojira. But there's enough to talk about. Yeah, there we thought that we felt it was justified. There's a few other 
other like different international versions yeah, and, uh, and, and, of uh, various Godzillas. The Godzilla was re-released in Italy in the 1970s, uh, and it was like colorized, and they did some things to mm. it as well. Uh, I haven't seen that version. That's something that that's if we do get to that, we get to that in when we get to the 70s, mm. and that's several months in the future. <laughs> it's called Buster Godzilla. <laughs> Stop that. Sorry. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm Italian. I'm right here. Um, but uh, uh, in any case, we'll we'll try to track that down when the time comes and see if that's worthy of its own episode or if we should just mm. make a mental note of that. We'll see. If it's, is yeah. it significantly different enough to justify uh, we, an entire podcast? Yeah, we, we already talked question. about uh, Godzilla Raids again. That was yeah. our, our last episode. And... Uh, Godzilla, the version of Godzilla Raids Again that I had seen was the American dub, and mm. it's not drastically recut, but it's a little different. Yeah. And they, call, they, they didn't call him Godzilla in the original release. They called him Gigantus. That's right. Because they thought, well, God, God, I think it was the rights thing. We didn't have the same... Yeah. I, I, think, mm. it was, I think it was from a different distributor or something. But uh, in any case, that is Godzilla King of the Monsters. That is it for uh, Thank Godzilla, It's Friday. We'll be back next time with our first non-Godzilla movie. Mm. It's a monster who will eventually uh, uh, come into contact with Godzilla, become one of Godzilla's uh, many monster associates. Uh, it's a monster you may have heard of. It, uh, you may have heard of him. He is perhaps best known as the father of modern sculpture. It's not not Gauguin. No, no, no. It's 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 Auguste Rodin. Oh, okay. You know, okay. That's it, it's all the more impressive that Rodin. Uh, sculpted the thinker because Rodan had those like giant like bat wing arms. Bat wing arms. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's it's after once you know that. Hmm. Like at first you're like, wow, what a great statue. But once you can imagine like a fifty foot tall giant pterodactyl sculpting yeah. it, you're going, well, now I'm just really impressed. I'm really sad right now. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because of your terrible joke. Your joke made me sad. Is it a joke or am I correct about everything? Rodan was a gigantic uh, pterodactyl monster. Yes, and it was also directed by Ishiro Honda. Yes, uh, and it will eventually cross over into Godzilla. So we're going to cover it on the next episode of Thank Godzilla It's Friday because it's the next one in chronological order. It's readily available on a variety of, of uh, streaming services. If you are listening to this podcast on the main feed, on the uh, main podcasting feed, mm. that means. That the next episode about Rodan is already available on the critically acclaimed Patreon. Because we're releasing episodes one week early over there. So, if you want to listen to the Rodan episode right now and you're not already a subscriber, head on down. It's patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. You can get early episodes of Thank Godzilla It's Friday. They are also free of ads, as all of our newer podcasts are. You can also get access to a lot of other exclusive podcasts, including the aforementioned Only the Best. We review every single Best Picture nominee. Only the Best International. We're trying to watch every single film ever nominated for Best International Feature. We have a podcast dedicated to every single episode of Star Trek ever. We do commentary tracks, uh, Discord hangouts, trivia nights, a whole bunch. Thank you to every single one of our patrons, without whom this show and all of our other shows would not be possible. You mean the world to us. Thank you. If you want to discuss anything we talked about on this show, 
please send us an email. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. If you would prefer to write us the old-fashioned way, we do have a P.O. box for just such an occasion. Whitney, what is our P.O. box? Yeah, send us a physical letter to PO, uh, Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah. And until next time, rawr! Thank you.